Welcome back. You're listening to This Week with Carol Coleman and Justin McCarthy. On Friday, the head of the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation said the shortage of accommodation in the country was leading to nurses coming from abroad being asked to share rooms and in one case, even a bed. Today, doctors have joined calls for action to be taken to assist health workers with accommodation. Most junior doctors move jobs every six months, and many are struggling to source short-term rental accommodation due to the housing crisis. In a moment, we'll speak with Dr Clive Kilgallen, President of the Irish Medical Organisation. But first, I've been speaking with junior doctor Brian Doyle, who has been telling me about his own experience of trying to find accommodation in the middle of the current crisis. Over the last kind of eight or nine years, I have been undergoing specialist training um, to ultimately become a hospital-based uh, uh, specialist. And during that time, you are rotating kind of jobs every six or every 12 months. And in recent years, it's become increasingly difficult for myself and my colleagues to find accommodation, often at short notice when we move to you know provide service provision, but also to, to undergo specialist training. Uh, in various hospitals uh, around the country. In my own situation, I'm based in Dublin, where I live with my partner. And uh, last year, I rotated to the west coast of Ireland, and it was extremely difficult then to find uh, accommodation to be near the hospital to um, undertake kind of my job. And it was off. It was you know within kind of two weeks of starting that post that I was ultimately able to find uh, a place to live. But in recent months, it's become even more difficult. The ongoing rental crisis is is, is well documented, um, but it's particularly difficult given the nature of notice that junior doctors in Ireland kind of receive for, for rotating jobs to be able to find uh, accommodation. Mm. And, 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 and you're also, you're, you're also, Brian, having to uh, m- maintain two different properties because you've got your 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 base in Dublin, your your home, your permanent residence, and then you're looking every six months, perhaps for another place wherever you're located to. Yeah, it's when you move when you're rotating kind of jobs around the country, you're often doing it for short periods of time, whether it's six months or twelve months, and this all coincides at a time in life when you're trying to do ordinary things that ordinary people do, like settle down, maybe perhaps save to buy a home or to start a family. And it's totally reasonable that junior doctors would want to maintain a normal, you know, apartment or a house in one location where their family or their partner may live. And then because of system requirements are, are ultimately rotating to a, a second location around the country. And many are, are bearing you know, the cost of two rents as a result of this. Are there solutions then, potential solutions to the, the problems that you've raised there, which you think the HSE should examine? Yeah, I think absolutely. I think the first thing they need to do is is acknowledge uh, the problem, and that's the starting point for any for any issue. Um, there are a number of solutions. Um, I think uh, looking at the the need to actually move doctors around the country with the frequency that we do needs to be examined. And then I think in the interim, we really need to look at putting in some sort of financial support uh, for NCHDs who find themselves in the situation because of family requirements or otherwise. Uh, to be double renting and I think we really have to look at that in the short term until a longer term solution is found. 
And that was Dr. Brian Doyle, a junior doctor, speaking to me earlier. I'm joined in studio now by Dr. Clive Kilgallen, President of the Irish Medical Organisation. Good afternoon and welcome to the programme. Uh, thank you and good afternoon to your listeners. This um, is certainly a story that I certainly hear and we hear all the time from our, from our trainees. Trainees often, it takes many years to train to become a specialist and during that time you would move from your main university centre to other centres around in your hospital grouping and this has enormous benefit in terms of learning. You get to work in a place like Sligo Regional Hospital, one of the smaller hospitals and you can get experience there that you may not get in a major centre. The problem is is that it's become more difficult for our trainees to move around and there's the obvious background housing crisis. But we one of our differences now is in the demographic of our trainees. Our trainees now are much older now. They often have had previous jobs. They're coming in as graduate entry. And as you hear, they're part of a family. They often have families and, and this has a, a major this is a major change mm. for for our trainees. Uh, we heard uh, Phil Nee Hay uh, of the INMO raise similar issues on behalf of nurses uh, last week and she suggested that specialist accommodation may have to be built if we want to maintain a staffing in hospitals. Is that something that doctors would support too? I think that's that's a more long-term process. It's going to take some time to come in. But in the meantime, the first thing is to do as... The, the doctor had said is to acknowledge the, the 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 present the present problem as it stands to get some funding to enable people to move around to be able to afford two accommodations at the one time get some practical help from the HSE in kind of finding accommodation also kind of to review the kind of the training of our kind of training doctors to, and to get some flexibility for those with kind of fa- family commitments. Mm. I mean, do you see this as a problem of primarily of um, the housing crisis of accommodation or is it a problem of the way the system is structured, the, the, the way that doctors are obliged to move jobs every six months? Well, right now it's a combination of both. But if you look at the way doctors have been traditionally trained, it's very much kind of going back in many years ago. Uh, doctors would have been kind of younger and would not be in families, would have no commitment, so it is easier for them to move around. Now that demographic has changed, and we need to we need to bear this in mind. We, we need family-friendly policies, both for work and both for training. So this is an issue, yes. Is this issue a barrier um, uh, for, for doctors, we'll say, who may be abroad? Uh, and, and we know the health services are trying to recruit doctors from abroad to come here. Um, is, is this accommodation issue a barrier stopping those doctors coming here? I think it's one of many factors. There are many factors why our doctors move abroad, like to Australia. Normally they come back after many years, like myself. I worked for several years in the United States, got experience and came back. Now we find they're staying there. There are many problems that uh, trainees have in our system. One, the excessive working hours. This is a, a problem. And then the the experience that they have here working in, in our Irish system, which is kind of strained and difficult at the best of times. I want to move to another issue now, Dr Kilgallen, and, and to discuss some of the concerns that doctors have raised about the forthcoming patient safety bill, which will provide for statutory open disclosure by doctors and hospitals um, in the event that something goes wrong. And this has come into focus, obviously, following the, the, the passing of Vicky Phelan, um, whose memorial service is, is taking place as we speak, uh, and also following the publication of Dr Gabriel Scali's report earlier this week. Is the Irish Medical Organisation in full agreement that this legislation, this patient safety bill, is needed? 
Absolutely, yes. And the, to explain to, to, your, to, to your listeners, the Patient Safety Bill facilitates mandatory open disclosure uh, to patients when if there's an error or something goes wrong. And what that means is that the patients get a meeting where everything is explained to them in an open, honest, transparent fashion. Nothing is held back. They get an apology. And this is exactly what we want. We want patients to have an open, honest discussion where they get all the information. And by being open, this feeds into a clinical learning and clinical development mm. where we can improve. But but doctors have raised concerns that this new policy, that it could have unintended consequences. What are those? Well, we, our doctors need to have confidence in the process. And the when something goes wrong, a clinical error occurs, it's often in a very complex situation where typically two or three things are going wrong at the one time uh, in a often a very strained kind of cl- clinical scenario. We do know that there's overcrowding in beds, staff shortages and burnouts all lead to clinical lead to clinical error. So when there is an open disclosure, what we need to happen is that the entire context, the entire totality of the situation is explained to the patient. So are there kind of shortages? Were there problems with the machinery, were there lack of other kind of staff members available? Um, so this is something that, that needs to happen and uh, we were certainly concerned about. Mm. We need this legislation to be implemented effectively so that the patients do get the information that they want because patients really are at, at the centre of our priority. And uh, we can learn as doctors from our patients and we can use this information to improve the clinical services. Are you concerned that um, a, a new open disclosure policy would, would lead to more cases being taken in the courts against doctors? Well, that depends on how this is implemented. If it's implemented, as I'm saying, what we want, which our vision, which we hope is everybody else's vision, this is an open and honest culture of learning. If it's a culture of blame where Dr A or Dr B just gets a tick box in a tick box scenario and that goes on that would be that would be bad there is already a lot of um kind of medical legal climate in in our country which is wrong is bad for patients and bad for doctors. If this is implemented correctly, this could be a very good thing. If it's implemented incorrectly, we would hope or we don't want this to make a, the situation worse. And is are the concerns that you're raising, can they be addressed through um, the, the structures and regulations which will be put in place once the legislation has been enacted? Or does there need to be changes to the legislation before it's put, before it, is an, it becomes law? I think I think the the legislation is as it is. I think it's the implementation of it. I think it's supports for patients in this process so that they get the information that they're supported before, during and after and also supports for doctors. I think this is, and the IMO think this is a really, really good thing. And if it's done properly, it's for the benefit. Dr. Clive Kilgallen, President of the IMO, thank you very much indeed for coming into studio today.